Well, that's, that can be, um, Jessica, that can be, you know, your final, um, your final act after you'll have to clean your desk out. Uh, we've already decided that here. Um, but you know what? She'll show up anyway. We fire her in the office. It's gotten from once a week to maybe every other week. Um, but she just keeps coming back, so. <clears throat> what did you say? I, I didn't hear that. What? <laughs> I didn't see you over there. Yeah, yeah, listen. We should stop right now and pray for Casey, just in general. <clears throat> okay, let's pray, and then we'll get started here. Father in heaven, thank you for a good day and for your presence with us. And we're grateful to be here. And we thank you for all the blessings that you give us. Uh, be with us this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, still trying to figure out. I don't, we are not going to get through all of the different subjects that I'd like to get through. So what I was doing today was trying to figure out... Um, <clears throat> you know, what's the best, <clears throat> best ones to make sure we try to um, tackle. And let's see here. I think one, I think I'm going to start with, um, we've already looked at the whole issue of um, st Christian stewardship of of our possessions, our money, and so forth. But there's one that I'd like to just spend a few minutes on. Um, and I confess that sometimes I don't know um, everything about some of the um, Christian financial um, what, teachings today. I know a bit about Dave Ramsey, and he's probably the only one I know. And it seems like, I'm a bit foggy, but it seems like many of the Christian um, teachers, financial, not planners, but, but um, advisors that help us, um, you know, get out of debt or whatever the case is, <clears throat> many of them come down pretty hard on debt, period. And we'll quote Romans, owe no man anything except to love them. Um, and, you know, if you, if, if you have a credit card, your, the, the lake of fire is your lot. Um, and I, th I don't personally buy that. Um, if God hated debt that bad, he, he sure spent an awful lot of time, especially in the old and in the new, but especially the old, giving directions on how to handle it. So um, if, if he really felt like it was a horrible thing, um, he went to great lengths to explain meticulously to the Israelites how to handle it. Um, I think if, if we're dealing about with Christian ethics... Um, ethics period, but especially Christian. Um, a couple things. It's, it seems to me that it, um, borrowing and debt becomes unethical when the borrowing or the level of indebtedness um, leaves little hope to pay it back. Um, or it's, I think it's unethical to borrow when you really have um, serious doubts about your ability to repay it. Borrowing when you, when you can't or you don't see how you're going to, but it's a reckless shot in the dark kind of a thing, and you find an institution or a person that will uh, lend to you. Um, I think that's unethical. The, you know, the scriptures, um, Proverbs, more than once, says the wicked borrows and does not repay. Now, um, what are some exceptions 
to that? Or are there, are there exceptions um, to a blanket command, the wicked borrows, does not repay? Um, give me any thoughts there. Yeah. Yeah. No matter how you get it, you'd have to do that. Yeah. But really, the other question is the differentiating want and need. But yeah. I think if somebody really needed something, they have to borrow. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. If someone, you, you, there are times when you there's a necessity to borrow. And again, um, I understand completely what uh, um, many of the Christian teachers about financing. I, I understand. Debt is a horrible problem. Do you know the number one thing married couples fight about? That's the number one thing. Um, and it'll tear up a home. And often you'll have, you'll have one or the other who is, um, I'm not saying it's six and one half of the other, Often you'll have one who is, you know, stable and wants to keep a budget and wants to, you know, take care of things. And, and you know, the other one who's just got to have this and got to have that. And, um, you know, I need a fourth rifle and, you know what I mean? Um, or let's get the women too. Um, you know, I, whatever. They need something. Um, but unfortunately, uh, fiscal philosophy is the number one thing people bicker over in, uh, in a marriage. Um, I think that Phil opened up, you know, a, it's not a can of worms. It's a little foggy sometimes. But there has to be some sense of the dif differentiating between need and want. Um, and I think if we think clearly enough, plus, if everything we have, if we really mean it, when we say everything I have, God gave me, it's really God's, then shouldn't we consult him on how we spend it? I think so. Um, now, I don't mean that you know, you need to pray in the um, aisles of Walmart, you know, over, do you get Pepsodent or Crest? Because it's 10 cents less. Um, I've never been, I, um, I've never been the kind of people, you know, the kind of person that would, you know, spend $10 worth of gas driving to the next county to get bananas because they're two cents a pound less than here. Um, I don't understand that kind of thinking. Um, it really drives me crazy. But <clears throat> um, I think that um, it requires some real self-discipline and kind of an internal honesty to go through checklists with yourself. Do I need this? Do I just want it or prefer and to want something's not bad either if God's put the well put the means there um, you know that that's fine but yeah Tom um, and then the verse is used out of context too I mean it says that he owes someone taxes pay taxes respect yeah Absolutely. I had a guy in my first church, and I didn't know much what to tell him because, um, you know, I didn't. I made we Liz and I, Liz and I were both. In, I was in seminary; she was in college, and we made seventy-five dollars a week. 
Um, finances, you know, what to do with it and all that was not much of an issue. Um, we were trading in pop bottles to fill a Volkswagen with gas. Um, but this guy came to me and his wife was furious with him. She handled the money. And he had this notion that it, it, he'd like to borrow money for stuff that he didn't need, but he liked to borrow money because he could deduct the interest. <laughs> now, that's insane. Um, you know, that makes no sense at all. Um, I have thought it sometimes that I wish, you remember the case with Jesus and Peter? And the people came to Peter and they said, Pharisees, you know, people picking at Jesus. Uh, it doesn't seem like you and your master are paying the temple tax. And so Peter comes to Jesus and said, hey, this is what these people are saying. What, what do I tell them? And Jesus said to Peter, he said, well, of whom, of whom do kings, rulers, collect taxes? Of the children, meaning the native-born citizens, or strangers, foreigners? Peter said, generally, foreigners. He said, then therefore, therefore, the children shouldn't have to pay this tax. He said, however, lest they are offended and, you know, we give them a bad reputation or give, give them, give ourselves a reputation that's not good in their eyes. Go down to the lake, cast in a hook, first fish you bring up, open his mouth, and there's going to be a coin in there, and there's enough to pay for your tax and mine. Now, I, I've wished for that sometimes. <laughs> um, that'd be nice. But um, at any rate, <clears throat> there are times when then um, debt is involved, and God's fine with it. It's just that we can go... Um, we just have to be careful to pray and ask God what to do. And um, listen, he'll, he'll help you. He knows. He'll talk to you. There's been times that um, every one of well, maybe not every one of us, but most of us, very f infrequently, but I've, uh, at sometimes, rather than, you know, a bad case of COVID, um, gotten a bad case of new car fever. Anybody ever had new car fever? Okay, what, does, what are the symptoms of new car fever? <laughs> well, you hear noises that probably aren't even there in your old car, but you're sure you hear them. Second, you're sure they're getting worse. Um, they're getting louder, and boy, you know, the, the, this has got a lot of miles on it, and, and you know what? I noticed, you know, one of the doors was kind of rattling a little bit. And, boy, we can, we can make a case um, pretty easily. But then if you start thinking about, okay, if I do this, it's going to be worth about 10 cents three miles away from the lot. You know, as soon as I drive it home and park it in my driveway, it's not worth too much. I don't want to make a bunch of payments on something. So you're your better thinking gets a hold of you and you know then you take two aspirin and go to bed and get get rid of the new car fever um now i think there are cases too clearly we know this that there are cases where situations impossible to deal with you have no control over you can end up in trouble debt-wise. I'll give you uh, an illustration um, out of my in-laws. Um, Liz's father, they, they were native Californians. He was an excellent builder um, and built big, built, you know, highway overpasses and lots of stuff. And, but starting out, he got a big contract for some, I can't remember all the details, but it was some kind of a commercial building or something. And the business he was building it for ended up collapsing. They, they filed bankruptcy. 
Well, he didn't get paid for the building, which was almost finished. He ate the thing. So he ended up having to file bankruptcy. Me, there was not a thing he could do. However, he went to every single one of the vendors, every one of the creditors, and he said, basically, in my lifetime, <laughs> you'll be repaid. Even though legally, He'd filed bankruptcy. It was not his fault what happened. Um, but still, he said, I'll repay it. And he did. Um, that's an honorable thing to do in a situation that can be beyond your control. So those kinds of things happen sometimes um, in life. Now, <clears throat> what about... Um, couple things here. The Israelites, God gave the Israelites a rule that they were not allowed to charge interest on a loan they made to a fellow Israelite. If they, if a fellow Israelite approached someone and wanted to borrow money, um, he said to him that would borrow, turn not away. Um, and then they were not to charge interest they could charge interest to a Gentile, but they could not charge interest to a fellow Israelite. If you remember the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, both, after the captivity in Babylon, which was a judgment of d disregarding all of God's laws, God graciously brought them back to Israel. They were just a little, you know, 40-some th thousand out of a million that were carried off. So Israel was in dire straits. And they come home and they come back. Jerusalem's burned to the ground. The temple's gone. Everything's a mess. Um, and in the middle of all that, they started, because everybody was kind of poor, the few guys that had some money, they started lending money to fellow Israelites at exorbitant interest rates, which was contrary to what the law was. And so when Ezra and Nehemiah found out about it, um, Nehemiah is an interesting person. He's an interesting study to make. Um, he was very, he was all out for God, very persuasive. Here's how he persuaded people. He said, I told them that if they didn't do this, I would lay hands on them. And then he said, I pulled out some of their hair and I made them sign <laughs> that, they would, that they wouldn't do this anymore. Nehemiah is kind of a hero. <laughs> um, and so he made them forgive the, you know, the interest, not the debt, so forth. Um, but we've over the years, in several churches I've pastored when it comes to building programs, we've had wonderful people in our congregations, everyone I've ever had, step forward and make sizable loans, no interest, uh, to help us, you know, get through something. Um, and the Lord's honored them and helped us. And uh, so um, I think there are some, some general principles regarding basic um, faithfulness to repay debt, faithfulness to lend to those who need it. And there's even a, a bit... Um, there's a bit of a sense that God gives that don't, don't be picky and too scrupulous about how quickly they can pay you back. He's saying, you know, it just, it's okay. It's kind of like he said, don't go over the limbs of your olive trees twice. When you shake them good, and the fruit falls, he said, don't go back over a second time. Leave it for the poor. They can glean the trees. Don't go over your vineyard a second time. Just leave it. And he says, if you forget a whole shock of wheat out in your field, just leave it. The widows and the orphans and the poor, let them have this. And every time he said about the olive trees, about the wheat, about the vineyard, each time he repeated this statement, and the Lord will bless you, and the Lord will bless you, and the Lord will bless you. God's generous. He loves generosity. 
and the last scripture we'll mention is in when Paul talks about the Lord loving a cheerful giver. And I think everybody knows what the word cheerful means there. It literally is translated hilarious, but the implication is um, intoxicated. Um, generosity like a drunk. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean, it, you know, but, but that's the word that the Greek um, uses there. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's set them up for the whole house, you know, no regard. Now, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's don't fret, God will take care of me. Gives us a richly all things to enjoy. Um, <clears throat> by the way, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. I'll steal a little thunder from Sunday. Um, just out of the blue, in addition to the marvelous giving this congregation has always done, in the last, what, four or five days, um, we've just had, we've had some larger gifts come in and with some surplus um, that builds up about every three months or four months and then we take some extra and put it on our mortgage. Um, we're, able to we're, we're able to put uh, 250000 on our note which brings us um, if you see me running the streets with two champagne bottles in my hands, I don't drink or dance, but I might. If um, it puts us down to eight hundred, just a bit under nine hundred thousand on a seven million dollar building, and God's just unbelievably taken care of us, been awfully good to us. So. Anyway, we'll announce that Sunday. Um, don't quit giving. Um, <clears throat> but um, we've done so well that the institution, we were under the banks for a while. Then we went with what's called the Wesleyan Investment Fund, which services a lot of different um, Wesleyan doctrine denominations. And, oh, I don't know. Jessica's back there. Maybe she's not. Um, yes. Was it about a year? Was it about a year ago that the the WIF cut our? Yeah, they dropped our interest rate three quarters of a percent. Dropped it from five and a half to four. Um, is it four seven five or four two five? Anyway, it's dropped. Okay, Th that's unheard of, but that's God. And this congregation has always been generous to give to all kinds of missions and needs. And God blesses us. He'll take care of us. So anyway, um, just a little bit, a uh, few thoughts on the Christian ethics of debt, lending, borrowing, so forth. Thoughts, comments before we move? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just don't even do it. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, let's look, um, let's see, I can't remember here what I kind of thought as far as, um, we've looked at authority, at least narrowly, civil authority. Um, all of us, though, all of us live under quite a number of different sources of authority. God, obviously. Civil government, which is all kinds of stuff. Law enforcement, different regulatory agencies. Then schools. You got the principal, you got the teachers. Um, You've got employers that you work for that have authority over you. You've got parents, parents who are authority over us. Um, 
authority really is delegated from God to an awful lot of different entities. And so at any given time, all of us are under um, a number of different authorities. And to me, this is a, it's growing a bit foggier as we see our culture shift and the authority, authoritative institutions shifting to where they're, no, they're less and less friendly to the church and Christians and Christian beliefs. Um, can't remember, it's always, you know, there's 50 states and most of them are crazy, so it's hard to keep track of who's who. I think it might be either Wisconsin or Minnesota. Um, <clears throat> but, and by, I, by the way, I didn't, read, I didn't read the article, but I think I saw a headline here, here in the news record about somebody proposing a hate speech or hate crime deal or whatever. Um, it's in the news record, which it has to be accurate and true. Um, but at any rate, um, you know, you've got this, you, you do have this law that passed and was signed in, in uh, Minnesota that your children can be taken away from you if you, as a parent, stand in the way of gender treatment. Now, I mean, you, that's getting down where it, I don't know what I'd do there. Now, I wouldn't, I, I would resist authority. Um, but I mean, if they, you know, I hate to sound nuts and this, I hope this isn't, I know there's hundreds of thousands of people that hear each of these recordings. Um, I don't know what I'd do. You know, I'm not that good of a shot, but I do have four rifles and a pistol. Um, you come to take my kids, I'm dead serious. I, I don't know what I'd do. You know what I mean? Um, but we're, it's unfortunately, those kinds of scenarios are no longer um, wild-eyed hypotheticals. And the schools have the right, they think, and they've given it to themselves, to instigate this gender business with a kid in a class. Then they can turn around hide it from the parent. If the parent finds out and objects to it, then they can move to take the child away from, from the parent. Um, so our response as Christians to authority is up to, it's on the front burner. And, and what do we do? Uh, I'll be honest, I don't have every answer on that. I don't know. Um, I know that we are never um, God does not call us to obey civil authorities if it involves um, laws, commands to disregard God's laws to do something immoral uh, sinful God never requires us to do that Okay, um, there are some things, of course, that God, even that we may not like, that he says, um, submit to the authorities that are over you, and so forth. But when it comes to immoral, breaking the laws of God, and we have to be honest there too, um, if it's clearly contrary to the word of God, then our response is that we don't concede that. However, even then, there are, um, you look at Daniel and some other cases in the scripture where people who were uh, under situations like that, even in their resistance, they were not um, wildly, radically violent. Um, I don't, I, anybody got answers since I, I, I'm supposed to be the, remember the Shell Answer Man ads? 
you know, the guys with the plastic glasses and the white coat. I, I don't have plastic glasses or a white coat. Um, as, as maybe, you know, clouds darken the sky for us, what do we do? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. When you have the opportunity to stop it, you know, even Jesus said, you know, before I told you don't take a sword, but now I tell you, you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and get by one. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't that wasn't for, you know, cutting the hay. Yeah. And so there's there's a time for that, you know, and the time for time to be born, time to die, and all the all the stuff that Solomon said, but <clears> I think the, the Holy Spirit will, you know, us guide us to know. Yeah. Uh, we also have to remember, we've already covered, you know, just brilliantly covered war and violence and stuff in general, but God's not opposed to violence. He's not opposed to war. Um, he's, he, God's a pretty good strategist, in fact. How many times did he tell Israel, hey, listen, here's how to put this attack together. Here's the strategy to use. Do this, do that. Um, and, you know, so, so God himself recognizes that there is a point at which, um, you know, taking up arms is not evil. So, no one has any answers about if they come to take your kids. I don't mean to scare people, but I do remember when I was small, um, the... Um, you know, I was a little kid through the mid to late 50s when the Red Scare was the big deal. I can remember my parents sitting around with other parents, pastors, whoever, talking about how, the, you know, the Russians take your kids away and they indoctrinate you and all that kind of stuff. I was scared to death. I, I remember overhearing that, even if I was, you know, playing in the living room or whatever and they were in the dining room talking. Um, you know, I, I was scared to death that the, you know, the Ruskies would come and take us away, you know. Um, so, you know, you don't, I don't want to unnecessarily foment fear, but we're, we're looking at some stuff that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Well, yeah that, I think God has given us the, the chore to be instruments of truth for our kids because they still have to agree to that even if someone takes them away they have to agree to having that done and <coughs> tell them you know if you raise them in the truth they're not going to want to go that way so it's our so we can't be idle in our what we're supposed to be or in our mission Yes. And this sounds, I mean, God would help you. I know that. And here's the thing. As we think about things like this, we think, how in the world could I get through that? I don't think I could stand that. It's because we're not going through it now. If we do, he'll give us grace. He's not going to leave us graceless and helpless. Um, but I've read a lot of people who raise their children um, well, taught them the things of God, um, and you have, you have even in um, Scripture, and then uh, you look at, for instance, I don't remember what it was, two years ago or whatever, um, there were all those school children, three, four, five hundred school children who were young, taken in Nigeria by Al-Shabaab, and, and some of them came home, some of them still haven't. Um, there would have to be confidence that God would, God would take care of them. He would accomplish his will. Um, 
and he's able to do what do what he pleaseth. Um, have you ever heard of John and Betty Stam? Anybody here ever heard of John and Betty Stam? S T A M. Okay, um, that tells you how old. Well, no, I was pretty little, um, but. John and Betty Stam were missionaries in China with China Inland Missionary Missions Agency. And when Mao Zedong took over, and that was in 49 and 50 and in through there, um, they were caught up in all of that. They had a little they had a little baby girl, and her name was Mary. And the Communists swept in to where they were at, <clears throat> and uh, in, with lightning speed, there was no opposition to them. They came into this province or this area where the Stams had been working as missionaries for a while. They came in, to the missions compound where they had a number of you know homes and school and all that kind of stuff, um, and they found that, heard that they were coming. And so the Stams took that little, their little girl and pinned a note and a $5 American bill to her blanket that she was wrapped in and hid her in the bed. The communists came in, took both the parents, John and Betty Stam, took them out into the yard, made them kneel down, and shot them. One of the Christians that had been converted under their mission work, um, God just directed them as soon as things cleared out. They knew, okay, they saw the bodies of the parents and they knew the baby wasn't there, so they went in the house and went through the house, found her, and managed to um, um, sneak her out of the country. I can't remember how long it took, but they ended up getting her down to Hong Kong and get, you know got her out, got her back to the United States. And I don't, I think it was some family members or somebody, but at any rate, um, family took her in, raised her. She never wavered in her faith to God. Um, the parents that she adoptive parents raised her also in the Lord. And I think, I'm not certain, but it's, it hasn't been any more two or three, four years ago that she was still living and she was still involved in some kind of mission stuff here in the U.S. Um, and I read some little article by her um, about how God marvelously took care of her. What, you know, I thought, what, what would you feel as you pinned a note and turned your back and walked out the door, forced to. Um, but God would give you grace. Um, even if he sometimes gives authorities their evil way, he, he, there's no one like God who knows how to bring good out of it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so on the issue of just Christians under authority, um, there is a, there's a warning that Peter gives us. And he said, do not let your liberty in Christ be a cloak for um, libertinism, <laughs> I guess. Um, well, since I serve Jesus, I don't have to listen to you. Um, I think the King James is a cloak of maliciousness, but, but nevertheless, a cover for acting against authority when it's unjustified. Okay? Um, I remember a guy in my first church uh, who... Well, he was witnessing, he, he would witness, I don't know if he did a very good job or not, but you know one thing as a Christian, um, unless it doesn't interrupt at all, you don't have any business witnessing 
on company time. Now, what I mean, I don't mean that if you can do your work and so forth and somebody's talking to you, asks you about God, that's one thing. But when you lay your tools down or you shut the machine off or whatever you're doing to talk about the Lord, that's not right. They own that time. And you owe it to the master we say we serve to not... Um, use our liberty as um, a cloak for basically lawlessness or for taking advantage of, okay? Um, here's another thing, and I know, it's, I know a lot of these are kind of foggy. I've always, I've had authority, I've been an authority. Um, and I've had superintendents um, give me assignments that I thought were pointless, useless, busy work, stupid, whatever else, okay? And the younger I was and the less experience I had, the more I knew that the assignment was stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I did it because the guy was the superintendent and he told me to do it. It was not against my conscience. It was not against the law of God. I didn't like it. I didn't want to do it. But I did it. I had enough of a reputation that I did what I was ordered to do and I, I was under authority that when I ended up as a superintendent saying, I want you to do this and I want you in charge of that, I, I hope, let's put it that way, I hope that I had some credibility that they could say, okay, you're not asking me to do something you don't do. And they never say anything to me, but I'm sure they probably thought, this is stupid. <laughs> I don't want to have to do this. Um, but God wants us, that's being a good witness. We are to... Um, we're to mimic Jesus as best we can, um, who, when he was, and God talks to us and reminds us this. I don't want to come across as that, you know, that I've just, I'm, if I were a Catholic, I'd be a saint by now. Um, some years ago, <clears throat> um, what, 20, I don't know, good long time ago, had a difficult, difficult, difficult um, couple of people in the church that I was pastoring. And I'd had it with them. And they were just sowers of discord. They were, they were not good people. And it wasn't that they had a legitimate complaint. They just picked and griped at everything and everybody. And um, I was driving a long way from home to another state to preach um, in another church for a week, a revival meeting. And I was staying in a hotel the first night, and I remembered I had a lot of time, windshield time, to just think. And so I called my wife, and I got to the hotel and says, you know, I've been driving for, whatever, 500 miles, and I've made my mind up, it's time to take off some heads. And unfortunately, and I mean this, unfortunately, I had done that before. Um, you know, I'd really laid somebody out. And so I told Liz, it's, I'm, I'm telling you what, I'm gonna deal with it. The mistake I made, this was first thing in the morning. I'd, I'd not yet read my Bible. <laughs> I hadn't had my devotions yet. So I get off the phone after telling Liz, I tell you what, I'm going to fix so-and-so, and that's it. I've had it. And I open up my Bible to my just regular reading, you know, and I'm telling you, um, God obviously knows his word. 
and he knows right where you're reading. <laughs> I mean, he knows. And so I'm reading Peter, and he talked about Jesus suffering while innocent and not retaliating. <laughs> and I read these words, who, speaking of Jesus, who, when he was insulted, did not insult back. <laughs> did not, when he was, can't remember the word there, he did not retaliate. Okay? Now, there was no saying, oh, that was just a coincidence that I happened to stumble across. I knew, I knew who wrote that, and I knew who engineered me to read it. That's a fast answer to what, you know, you're claiming, I tell you what. Well, it was a good slap down that I, I needed, and I realized can't, I can't do that. I got to leave it with God, and that's it. He took care of it. I never had to say a word. He took care of it. So every once in a while, we might forget um, how we're supposed to be and figure we'll take things into our own hands. Don't do it. God knows best, and he always does it cleanly, calmly, um, and we are left with a decent witness. Now, um, other authorities, there's always, there's, all, there's, there's at least two places, well, there's more than that, but in the Christian world, there's at least two places where um, we have to be careful with the balance of authority. And that is church authority, um, ministers, lay people. Um, and I think another place that we have to be careful with and we have to be thoroughly Christian in careful reading of God's word is Christian marriages. Now, anybody here, and probably I'll get maybe one or two, maybe nobody. <clears throat> anybody heard of something called an institution, a, a what, seminars they used to have, called Basic Youth Conflicts? Anybody ever heard of that? Okay, one. Anybody heard of a guy named Bill Gothard? Okay. Well, clear back when I was still in seminary, I think, um, Bill Gothard came out with uh, his theology clearly marked, you know, his thinking. Um, but he came out with this thing called basic youth conflicts. You had to buy the you had to buy the notebook. I think the notebook was ninety nine bucks. I'm not sure. And this is back in the seventies, so it was a lot of money. They would pack the rose garden, which is where the trailblazers played in Portland, and that held close to twenty thousand people. Um, and everybody in there. You couldn't, you couldn't copy any of the notebook and let anybody else have it, even your husband or your wife. It'd buy your own. Okay. So Bill had quite a deal going. And Bill knew how to raise kids, and he knew how to treat wives, and he knew it all, having never been marrying, married, 40 years old, and living with his mother. And I'm not making any of that up. I, I never went. I read the notebook, which means my name was mo removed from the Book of Life. Um, because if you read the notebook without going to the seminar, you, you were basically heading for, you know, the rubber soles of your shoes were already melting. Um, and it was huge. It invaded every church. It was everywhere. And um, it was there, the, the way a family was to work was called the chain of command. Okay. And the chain of command was God, husband, wife, kids, 
dog, cat, and goldfish, okay? And nobody better get out of line. Um, now, granted, in a lot of cases, followers can muck up what the teacher's trying you know, to teach. But I read it. I read his material, and um, he was very free with harsh criticism of people in the Bible that weren't obedient to the chain of command. One he took on, he several women, but whoever, whatever a woman spoke up against her husband, he just condemned her. Well, one of them was Abigail. He had a whole chapter on Abigail. Well, Abigail was Nabal's wife. And um, remember, David was fleeing from Saul, and he was living out in the wilderness, and Nabal was extremely rich, lots of sheep and flocks and so forth. And so he, uh, David said at the time of shearing, he sent a couple of his young guys. They were, you know, he had this 600-men little army. And he sent a couple of them to Nabal. He said, hey, we've been protecting your shepherds and your sheep out here from marauders and bandits and whatever. And so, um, you know, we're living in caves. Uh, slaughter a couple sheep and, you know, give us, give us some meat and some food. And, and he, Nabal, kicked him off the property. Yeah, he said, I'm going to help you. <clears throat> well, David... <laughs> um, Frankly, it just comes from, David did what I was doing in that hotel room I just told you about. David said, as soon as he got the message that Nabal wouldn't give him any food or wouldn't help him at all, he said, okay, he said, everybody gird on your sword. And he says, God do so to me and more also. If by morning there's one male left alive, let's go. Well, Abigail, the scripture's clear, the Lord moved her, spoke to her, and the servants came to her. And they said, our, our master Nabal is such a horrible guy, you can't even talk to him. And David's men came, and they've been wonderful to us, and they've protected us, and they, they've kept us safe from bandits. And, and we worry that there's mischief, it says, David's going to retaliate because he's been good to us. And the way Nabal spoke to him, um, we're going to be in trouble. She responds and says, Nabal, basically, Nabal is his name. And it's accurate. Well, you know what the word Nabal means? Fool. That's what his name is. Who, who, would, who would take a, you know, a little hour old, let's name him Fool. Um, but anyway, his name was Nabal. And so she says to her servants, yeah, he's a fool. So she gathers together a whole bunch of food. She takes it to David. And she tells David. She gives it to him. And David's on his way. He's, he's, got his, he's armed up to the teeth, and he's on his way. She meets him. She's got all these donkeys with full food. She gets off. She gets down on her hands and knees. She said, David, you know, my husband's basically a rat. Um, you're like the child of God. He said, God's with you. I know God's going to put you over the nation of Israel. And so please don't avenge yourself. Just let God get you on the throne his own way. Um, but I brought you all this. And so David said, he, he, he told her, he said, Blessed art thou of the Lord. God sent you so I wouldn't avenge myself. And then she goes home. And she tells him when he, he was drunk or hoot owl. When he sobered up, she told him what she did. And it made him so mad, it just it says, though, it says, the Lord struck him, and his heart became like a stone, and he's, in 10 days he died. Well, David hears about it, so he sends his servants, and he gets Abigail to come and be his wife, okay? Um, and now he had three, which is another whole story. Anyway, um, anyway, um, Bill Gothard ripped Abigail for saying bad things about her husband, because Nabal was in the chain of command. And I had people that went to it. 
against my advice. I thought, I wouldn't pay 100 bucks to go there. I wouldn't pay five. But if you want to go, go. Um, had a couple guys who were very mousy sort of guys, and their wives ran the, you know, ran the shop. But they had to. They had to. Because their husbands were just invertebrates. You know what I mean? They were amoebas. They just kind of sat there. Well, they had to run things. Anyway, um, had one family, and the guy could never get his wife, who apparently didn't buy the chain of command stuff, to go to the Gothard thing. He buys the notebook, and she wouldn't go. Anyway, um, he also taught, I got involved with some of my own people, that you are so bound to do what your husband says because of the chain of authority that if he had a woman who she was a Christian and gotten saved out of, you know, the carousing bar scene and all that, got right with God. Husband didn't. And he insisted that she go with him back to the bars and so forth. And the, so she said, well, you know, he's, he's the authority over me and I've got to go. And I said, no, you you don't have to pay attention to any of that. Um, so it, it was a, I'm going to say that went on 20 years, but that it was around the country. Um, at any rate, authority, pastoral authority, can be abused. It can clearly be abused. So I've, I've always kind of been careful about saying too much about I tried to get the women in the office. I started there. It didn't do any good. Um, and I would always quote to the women in the office, Hebrews 13, 17. And it's the Bible. I mean, it's Scripture. They had no regard for it. Obey those that have the rule over you, for they watch for your soul. So we know that's talking about preachers. And it says, do this so that they can do their job without groaning meaning that the preachers won't be driven nuts, okay? And so I started in the office. I never got, I, you know, I never got anywhere in the office. So I've, I've really never tried to branch out beyond the office. Um, but seriously, pastoral authority can be abused. And there are times, and I, we're getting close to getting out of here, but there are times when I, I hope this doesn't come across wrong. I think I, how am I going to say this and without sounding like I'm trying to be a, some kind of a saint? I really don't think highly of myself. I don't think I do a very good job about 98% of the time. I think all the way home after church, oh, I do really say that for. Um, but I think I forget sometimes the genuine regard that parishioners can have. And I don't ever want to, even inadvertently, um, you know, not give somebody attention or ignore them or, you know, whatever. I don't know. But um, there is a relationship there that's, that God pays close attention to. Um, and a minister that abuses that relationship is going to have a rough go of it at judgment because those aren't my sheep. They're his. It's his. He's paying attention to it because it matters to him. This is a lighthearted illustration. But something happened to the sunroof on Liz's Honda Pilot, and it just shattered on its own. And so she drove my truck to the church early tonight because she helps with the dinner. Okay, I like my truck. It's way longer than what she's used to driving and bigger. And so I made a point before I came in here of finding her in the kitchen and saying, now listen, when you back up out of where I saw you park, don't hit the garbage thing out here because you, you know what I mean? Okay, um, why? Because that's my truck. And I like it. And I don't want her messing it up. Okay? Now that's a light 
the illustration. We're God's sheep. He's not going to sit by with a grin on his face and indifferent if authority is used to harm them. Um, same thing with his command regarding husbands and wives. Um, the cure to me to the, the husband, you know, quoting scripture about the husbands, the head of the wife, you know, all this. Yeah, I know. But he also said, husbands, you love your wives just like Jesus loved the church and died for it. That cures the buckaroo kind of, of strutting around like a batty rooster husbands if we love them to the point that we die for them. So authority is dangerous. It can be abused, but rightly balanced, it makes life perfect in lots of different ways. Okay, um, we got to quit. I want to look at next week this is our last um, last lesson, and you know I got to try to pick a few of these. One thing I was thinking about, um, which might be a little crazy, um, but a lot of ethics books, and I think Christians, Christian ethicists make a point, is um, proper proper environmentalism natural resources what does God expect us to do with them um, and w because he said that he's given us I just read it this morning one of the Psalms he says um, the earth has he given into the hands of the sons of men and even before the fall he gave mankind charge over the earth to till the ground to, he said, subdue it, to use it properly. And he put all the natural resources that we have here so that we could use them. Um, I think mankind always does this. I don't care what issue it is, whether it's Christianity or I don't care. Church, families, whatever. It seems like all we ever do is just carry them off of the opposite guardrail. No one ever seems to be able to kind of settle in in the center of the road. We just ricochet off over here and then we slam in over there and then we slam back over here. And that's what we're, that's what we're doing. You go back to some of the... Um, some of the ways natural resources were just, and the earth was just wrecked. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest where logging, the strategy for logging was way, way, way back in the old days. Um, they would selectively cut these massive Douglas fir. Um, I grew up routinely seeing, coming from the east up in the coast range in the Cascades, um, foothills. Log trucks would always come down through a main drag through Eugene to the west side of town where all the sawmills were. And it was no big deal walking to junior high ever to see um, one log, 40 foot long log, one log on a log truck. That meant it was 11, 12 foot diameter. Just one log. That was no big deal. Nobody took pictures. Nobody said, hey, look at that. It was routine. Well, they moved to what they called clear cutting. It was quicker. Lots of other trees, a lot of maple, vine maple, they call it, not, all kinds of, you know, Douglas fir, what they're after. Cedar, whatever else, whack it down. And so you ended up, there was a stretch of the forest from Portland to the beach that we would always take this US 26 and it was like it was like something out of World War II um, 
just trees laying everywhere, stuff growing up through it, underbrush. And I mean, it looked like it had just been bombed and left. And it went on for miles. Well, there's where the crazy people in Oregon voted to stop clear-cutting. I think it was a good idea. That was not necessary. That was horrible to look at it. Instead, what they started doing was they'd hire, Weyerhaeuser would hire millions of, probably not millions, but college kids. And I can't remember for sure, but I think they started a program for every Douglas fir they cut down, they'd plant 10 more. And those were the little seedlings. They'd grow those in greenhouses. And then you'd go out with a big backpack and you just, you had a weird little shovel that you just stuck it in the ground and kind of bent it. And it made a, a hole and you, sh you know, shoved that seedling in, bent the dirt back, moved on. Um, well, um, it was, take, take Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens blew up, laid everything flat. And they said, oh, it'll be a century for you. Within seven years, within seven years, without planting stuff, there, was, there were trees 12, 15 feet high. And now they've already logged that area again. Um, but I think God expects us not to dump raw sewage in the river. And, you know, we're to take care of what, what we have. Now we've gone, like humans do, we've gone to worshiping, we're earth worshipers, you know. Um, and every time I've had lately, or in the last few years, to go to Oregon, um, it's pretty routine to see bumper stickers of a globe, and then the, um, you know, the caption, love your mother. Mother Earth. Um, so we're, we're insane. <laughs> um, so take, we take what ought to be and we go clear over here to where we're, we're crazy. Now the only hope I have is that maybe the pendulum swings back. Um, it often has, but at any rate. So um, next week we'll, we'll conclude... So we'll try to just maybe spend less on time on each subject and try to just hit a bunch of them, try to get as close as I can to finishing up all the list that I had, but we won't make all of it. All right, let's bow our heads. We'll pray. Father in heaven, we live in a really crooked world, and you know it, and Lord, there's evils called good and good's evil, and light is dark and so, Lord, we've got to rely not only on your written word, but we've got to rely on the voice of the Holy Spirit who never contradicts Scripture to lead us and to guide us in every situation that we may find ourselves in. And so, Lord, give us hearts that are pliable and sensitive to your leading and give us good minds that will think straight as we face we know not what. Go with us as we go, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you are dismissed.